0: Take out your Bibles and let's get started. We have uh, an amazing passage of Scripture to be able to go through. As we wrap up our 31-part series, the entire year we've been going through two different series. We're wrapping up the Life of Worship series today, and then on Christmas weekend we wrap up the Learning to Worship series. So we had two concurrent series throughout the year. Both of those are coming to a close. Uh, Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. And we can begin uh, today's message. I entitled very uncreatively a life of worship. And the reason why is because in today's message, we watch the passing of David and the handoff to Solomon and we reflect back on his life. Did he live a life of worship? And what does that look like? What is the legacy that he's going to leave? So there's a fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. I just want to make a couple points and I'll give that to you. First thought is this, David is about to get shut down by God. David's life comes to a close. He will have no more opportunities to invest in the nation. He will have no more opportunities to invest in his family or his friends, the military, however it goes. All of his opportunities to change how he's been living are done. He wraps up and we put an exclamation point on the end of his life. How's he going to do? Will he have left a significant imprint about worship? We know he left a significant mark. For example, if you're going to look over at the flag of the nation of Israel, it has on it the star of David, right? So obviously he's a very big figure and he has left a massive mark on the nation. Did he leave one in the areas of worship? How did he do as a father? How did he do as a husband? How did he do as a friend? What will it be like once he's gone in the nation? All right, let's make it practical. You. You and I, God calls us to come home today. There is a very high probability with the amount of people that go to this church that some of us will not make it through the week, right? Somebody may well be called home. Now, I know that for some of us, we say, well, we're a little bit later in life and we feel like maybe certain times are wrapping up or we're going through some type of uh, trouble in our bodies and maybe it's time for us to head home. And then there's other parts of us that say, wow, we're young and we're vibrant and it's going to be, you know, I'll worry about that stuff later. Let me just share this. I've been around long enough, done enough ministry, talked to enough people to realize you do not have the time you think you do. And here's why If you're facing something that you think you're going to step out of this life soon God may re-rack you and go we're doing it another 20 years I know you don't think that maybe is likely But God decides that Your body doesn't decide that The doctors don't decide that God decides that And if he says you know what We're not playing that game We're going to go ahead and go through a healing process And you're moving on Or whether or not he's going to extend your life out Far longer than you ever thought We don't know And those of us that are young, I've done too many funerals for young people. For anyone to have an assurance that they'll worry about it later. Okay? I've seen far too many young people pass away before their parents. So, let's make it very, very practical. God calls your life to a close right now. You no more have any chances to change your legacy. What have we done so far? Will people live differently because you are involved in their lives in the area of worship? Have you lived as if God mattered to a significant enough degree that that will impact and move forward with all the people around you? So many of us are still playing this game of, man, when I finally get out of school, then I'm really going to be fired up for the Lord and I'll be able to do a lot of this kind of ministry and I'll be, I'll be interested in, in God and I'll be able to do what I need to do. And then the others of us say, you know, when I'm finally empty nest and it's not so much about I'm all with the kids and then I'm finally going to get a chance to, to really spend time with God. And then, well, you know what, when I retire, that's going to be the time when I really have a chance to engage with God and I'm finally going to be able to do the thing. Really? we going to keep playing that game. What about now? If God calls you to close before you reach any of those processes, have you lived your life in such a way to impact everyone around you for worship? The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Will the sum of your life equal worship? Will all that is said about you, with all that is about you, whether it's said or not, will that equal worship and will it impact the people around you we take you off the hot seat we take a look at david this morning would you turn with me to first kings chapter one verse one it's page 279 in the bible's under the seats in front of you if you don't have one you can borrow one this morning it's under the seat in front of you there's a little wire rack there if you're brand new to us take a look at those turn to page 279 first kings chapter one verse one All year we've been in 1st and 2nd Samuel and hitting Psalms in our other series, but David's death and handoff is not recorded in Samuel. We finished Samuel last week, but it's in Kings that we see whether or not David left a legacy. Let's pray about the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're about to open up your holy word, the word that is set aside, the word that changes lives. We believe, Jesus, as you are the word of God, that you are alive and active And as you move through the words of scripture, to cut to the heart, to change lives, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to convict us of areas that we need to change. And in the same way, encourage us in areas that we are good and faithful servants to you. Lord, if there are areas where we need to clean up or make adjustments, Lord, if we need the conviction of saying that we have loved you, but we have not lived for you. Would you change us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go through this. Everybody ready to, to handle a little bit of history here, right? So we're going back to 970 BC, all right? So I've shared with you before, we're going back about 3,000 years in history with a guy named David. Now, it starts out with this line, now King David was old and advanced in years. Now, my, my normal phrase is, if the Bible calls you old, you're old. Now, they've had guys that have lived for hundreds of years, so if the Bible calls you old, you should be pretty old. What's intriguing is that in biblical standards, David's not old. In my standards, he's not old at all. Now, let's think about this. So Moses, you know, a couple decades past 100 when he dies. Vibrant, strong. Well, in light of Moses, David isn't old at all. David is 70 years old in our story now that's not very old but it says that he's old and advanced in years what does it mean by that well I only have a guess and the guess is this it was not a normal cushy 70 years it was a brutal long rough 70 years we all know that all of us age very differently depending on what we've gone through in our lives and we've watched David's life be chronicled by Scripture almost year by year and you know what he's been through his whole life starts out in dysfunction. His family hates him. He has to battle giants as a teenager, He spends the majority of his life on the run. It's not on the run from Motel 6 to Holiday Inn. to. It was literally cave to cave, hiding under rocks, fighting wild beasts, being out in the elements. People always want to kill him. He finally gets a chance to go onto the throne. People are trying to assassinate him. He's leading wars. He has a ton of bloodshed on his hands. When he finally establishes it, then his sons start trying to vie for the throne. They're betraying him and attacking him. His friends are going away from him. This whole time, it's just wearing on his body. So I don't know, maybe you've lived hard, but that's pretty brutal. And I'll tell you, after 70 years of that, your body's done. It's just not going to keep going. That's not, there's no way. And it's funny because we all say things like, man, I would love to be like a man after God's own heart. And I'm going, yeah, but you're super exhausted and you die early, right? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, especially if any of you, I was thinking about this last night as I started teaching. Has anybody seen online? Uh, it's a great um, collection of photos. Look online for photos of presidents when they go into office and when they walk out anybody ever seen those that is awesome it just looks like they have just you know advanced like 30 years and it was only four or eight years i mean it's rough to be under that type of intensity and scrutiny and um responsibility just for a few short years david did it his whole life ah it's hard so well, his body begins to break down, uh, um, circulation issues, can't get warm at night. And it's funny how this whole book starts with this story, and it makes me smile. Here we go. Now, King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore, his servant said to him, let a young woman be sought for my lord, the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord, the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. And the young woman was very beautiful. And she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. All right, let's recap. (laughs) You guys, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. And they're like, wait, I have an idea. What you need is a human blankie. And he's like, yes. And they then they launch out Israel's next top model search, right? And they do this whole thing because, you, you know, you have to have the super hot blankie, right? And so, you know, they know that the first season, Esther won America's, you know, Israel's top model. And then, you know, and now it's Abishag's turn. She's in. And it was, <laughs> and this whole thing is just bizarre to me. But all right, whatever. So the other night I was like, I said to my wife, I was like, I'm so cold, <laughs> and she goes, "Put on a sweater." So, uh Anyway, not everything goes like the Bible. But that <laughs> But that's cool. Now, it's funny because at the end of the story, it says, "And he knew her not." That is not to protect David's reputation. David has kind of a messed up reputation in this area. But it's because the next thing that's important for the nation of Israel is who's going to be the heir to the throne. If he had been with her intimately, then we have a question whether or not she would have children and they could vie for the throne. This is only a question of inheritance because she's going to factor massively into the story moving forward, but make it very clear there was no connection in that way. It was completely legitimate. All right. Now, David is slipping in his responsibility. Why? Because he has not named publicly the heir to his throne. He has had a dialogue with people within his home. His own kids have an inkling about where he's going to go. But the nation doesn't know. You cannot lead like that. You cannot lead in silence. You cannot just say, I don't know, we'll see. David, it's interesting because in some ways he seems so good at making decisions. And in other ways he seems to abdicate responsibility. I will tell you, as the head of his household, he's dismal. And in this area, even leading the whole nation, not naming the next successor, we already had an Absalom problem. Remember? Absalom tried to take his dad's throne. Why is he not wise enough to say, man, I'm getting older, I need to name my successor because the whole nation is waiting for what's next. So far, his sons have been pretty horrible. Would you agree? We got, first of all, the first one dies in childhood. Secondly, we have Amnon, right? Amnon is a psycho. He gets killed by the third son, Absalom, who ends up getting killed by David's army commander. The Daniel, the middle one, he disappears because he must have died in childhood. And now we're down to number four, Adonijah, and he's just as bad as all the rest. So you can imagine the nation is thinking, I hope none of his kids get on the throne. Now he's got a billion to choose from, but still they all seem to be horrible, right? So everybody's waiting breathlessly. Who will ascend the throne next? And David hasn't said. Hmm. So Adonijah, he's going to take it up and he's going to jump the gun. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, the girls in david's life have horrid names i just very important don't name your daughter that all right now adonijah the son of Haggath, exalted himself saying i will be king and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him now where did he learn that plan that remember the whole thing you know get everybody to run out in front of you man adonijah's here he's the greatest thing in the world that's your pr people right where did he learn that from absalom his brother how'd that go not awesome His father, and you're going to find out why his boys are so messed up. It all the answers right there in verse six, his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus? And so what's that mean? It means he spoiled them rotten and he allowed them to be losers with no accountability. That's exactly what it means. Listen, David did a whole bunch of things, right? But he is a horrible dad. And so much of it is that he abdicates talking and holding his sons accountable. Why is that important for us today? Because gentlemen, we are terrible communicators and I'm going to get all over your case this morning because we're going to talk about a legacy that you leave for your kids and guys in general, don't talk. And what that does is it leaves an emptiness, a vacuum, where you're assuming that everybody knows what you're talking about. They don't know what you're talking about. And right here, we have a spoiling of the kids. Well, I don't want to make them, you know, I I don't know, I kind of want them to have their freedom and all that, right? Right, okay, you're the king of Israel. Your sons are princes. They're all incredibly studly, good-looking guys with all the money in the world, and no one's ever going to tell them no. What could possibly go wrong? Everything. Where are you as a parent? Well, I'm I'm running the nation of Israel. You know what? Your first mission field is your home. So you know what? Figure it out because your legacy is falling apart, man. It moves on. He was also a very handsome man. Remember Adonijah. David's good looking, marries all the best looking women of the nation. Now all his kids are super good looking, right? And they worry about that in politics. In the nation, they were looking, well, who's the best looking one, right? It made a difference. He was a very handsome man, like all his siblings, and he was born next after Absalom. Now he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. Uh Uh-oh, that's not good. In David's cabinet, he has about 10 people that are super important. One of them is the lead over his entire army. Who's that? Joab. The head of his entire army is siding with the son. Now David and Joab have always had a tense relationship. Sometimes David loves him. Sometimes David hates him. He's a tough as nails guy. Not really a super nice guy. But Abiathar the priest? David has two priests. And when we talk about priests, we're talking about the high priest of the nation, super important religious guys. There's Abiathar and Zadok. Now Abiathar is from the line of Eli. Do you remember the whole way that first Samuel began was with a guy named Eli had bad kids. Remember all that whole thing? God put a curse on his line. and He said, your lineage will stop. I'm cutting your family off from being the priesthood of Israel, and it's going to switch to another family. You're about to watch that happen right here in this story. Zadok is the new guy moving in. He stays with David. Abiathar goes over to Adonijah. And now we're starting to have a schism and a rebellion in the nation. Just like Absalom. It's Absalom 2.0. Here we go all over again. Yeah? It says, But Zadok the priest... Benaiah, that's another one of David's mighty men under Joab. He stays with David. Nathan the prophet stays. Shimei stays. And Rai, who we have no idea who that guy is, he stays around. And David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. But Adonijah starts to take the throne, has a coronation party. And how do we know that? It's described right here. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle. By the serpent stone, which is beside En-Rogel. And he invited all of his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. Wait, you're going to invite all the kids but Solomon? Why are we mentioning Solomon? Solomon. Depending on how you look at the list in scripture, Solomon's either number seven of 19 sons from David's wives. David has 19 sons just from his wives. It doesn't count the daughters. It doesn't count his concubines. It doesn't count any of that. Remember I told you he had like a billion, right? 19 sons. Solomon is either number seven or 10. Why are we talking about this guy? He's like... Nobody! But people in the family know something's different about him. Part of it has to do with his mom. Who's Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. And you go, well, that was Bathsheba's first. Depending on how you look at the list, either Solomon was her fourth son or her first son that survived. We don't know. But still, he's in the middle of the pack why are we talking about solomon for some reason adonijah doesn't like him he's heard something through the family that he may well be next in line for the throne but that's going to screw up everything because according to birth order adonijah owns that throne all right well how's it going to go nathan comes up with a plan now, Nathan's the prophet. Remember, he was famous because he's the one that busted David on the Bathsheba thing. Remember? So this isn't going to go well. We have a whole rebellion rising up in the nation. And so Nathan, I'm going to paraphrase for you. Nathan calls Bathsheba aside and he says, hey, come here for a second. She said, what's up? He said, did you hear that? Adonijah's is going to go make himself king. She said, that can't happen. If that happens, that means Solomon can't be. That means Solomon's going to be killed. He's going to shut us all down. He'll kill me. He'll kill everybody. We can't let him take the throne. And Nathan says, I know, i got a plan. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go in to King David. And, and, well, all right, how about we do this? You go in first, right? You go in, King David, i got a quick question for you. I thought that, you know, you were going to uh, make Solomon king. Isn't that what you promised me before God? Yep, you go in first. You talk to him while you're still talking to him. I'm going to show up. And then I'm going to go in and go, King David, did we change the plan? I thought it was supposed to be Solomon. And then we both hold him accountable. We call him on the carpet. He has to make a decision. She said, all right, that's a good plan. So she goes in, right? David's kicking it with Blanky. right? (laughs) It says that in scripture. A little awkward. (laughs) She said, David, did you change the plan on us? He's like, what? No. Well, Adonijah says that he's king now. David's like, what? Nathan comes in. All right, Bathsheba, you get out. Man, it's crowded today, right? Nathan, you come on in. What's up? Well, did you say Adonijah's king? No, I didn't say that. Well, he's doing that. Well, you know what? That can't happen. We've got to say something. Well, yeah, David, that's what we've been trying to tell you. All right, well, I made up my mind. Get Bathsheba back in here. Verse 28. Then King David answered, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my Lord, King David, live forever. Ladies, you thought it was hard enough living with your dude. What if he was king? Oh, man, that's worse. All right king david said call to me zadok the priest nathan the prophet and benaiah the son of jehoiada so they came before the king and the king said to them take with you the servants of your lord and have solomon my son ride on my own mule okay back then mules were cool mules are not cool right now all right so if you're thinking of riding a mule out on the street you're just going to look stupid okay please don't do that And bring him down to Gihon. Now, Gihon is the only natural spring water that feeds up into Jerusalem. But what's more important about where Gihon is, is it's less than a mile away from where Adonijah is having his party. So we're going to have two parties right next to each other. David needs to make sure everyone in the nation knows about it. All right? Then it says, And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet, go public, and say, long live King Solomon. You shall then escort him, come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, meaning I'm behind him, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Beniah, he's pumped, Right. He stayed with David. He says, amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king say so as the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. What's so great about this is David makes the right choice for his family. There's no more abdicating leadership. He steps up. Now, he did not want to make that decision. Why? Because he's really picking which kid dies. You understand? Because he abdicated leadership in the first place, we got into a really nasty situation where the kids are at odds with each other. Either Adonijah dies or Solomon dies. Those are your two choices. If your family is spun into such horrible dysfunction that you now have to pick which side of the family you're going to land with, that's not good. But that's what David did because he didn't lead his family well. Then he had to make a decision. Finally, he steps up and makes the tough call. I said it was going to be Solomon. I'm sticking with the Solomon thing. I know Adonijah not going to be happy with that, but I know it's the right thing to do. All right? It says this. Solomon's team gets him together. And they take him down and they do this big party and they call everybody in together and they start shouting, Solomon's king, Solomon's king. Everybody's, yeah, they're all screaming and yelling less than a mile away. At Adonijah's party, it's starting to wind down. Joab's like, what is that I hear? Is that like battle? What's going on? And and then a guy runs in. You guys, everything's messed up. We were all behind Adonijah. King David just said that he's putting Solomon on the throne. We're on the wrong team. Uh Oh, look at verse 49 that all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose and each one his own way That means everybody bailed out on him, right? These are all the clingers. Everybody know what clingers are, right? They it's a popular thing to do. So they all surround him and then when things get tough, they all bail out on him, right? So Adonijah's whole crew bails out on him. They all know they're in trouble Because even though they got a little big for their britches and thought they could take over the nation It didn't go that way You know, we have the ability to make ourselves so important in our own minds that we think we can do whatever we want, whether or not we're lined up with God or not. That whole living in la-la land only works as long as God doesn't make reality come crashing in. If you are living a life outside the will of God, you're on borrowed time. Because once God needs you to do something different, the minute that God wants to use your stuff, the minute God wants to use your life, he will crash you in a second. Because it's about his plan, not your plan. And what's funny is, is as long as God gives us enough rope, we make it all about us and we live in this dream world. I can make my own decisions. It doesn't matter what I do. I can live my life like this. See, look, it doesn't even matter whether or not I'm living as a Christian or I'm not living as a Christian. Who cares? God cares. And if you're screwing around, living for yourself, God may well just come calling. And everything's going to change and spin upside down. And you're going to find that you need to start all over again. Because you weren't locked on solid foundation. You had built your house on the sand. And the storm came calling. Yeah? It says, Adonijah feared Solomon. Verse 50. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, David had set up a tent with the ark of God. And they had an altar there. Where they would sacrifice to God and the altar is kind of like a square box and on the corners of the box were projections that went out into a point they were called the horns of the altar when he would sacrifice blood offering for the atonement of sin the priest would smear blood onto the horns of the altar. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, if you ever felt like you were innocent, you killed somebody either in self-defense or in an accidental way, and someone was coming after you to kill you, you would run to a city of refuge, right? Well, in the city of Jerusalem, if you needed refuge, you could run immediately to the tent and hang on to the horns of the altar if you were important enough. If you could get in there, you hang on to the altar. And what you're saying is, I want to put my case before God himself. I don't believe you're looking at it. Right. I believe I'm innocent. So I'm going to hang on to this and you need, you're not going to kill me in God's house. So I'm safe for a second. It's like base, right? When you're playing tag, everybody knows that. All right. Okay. So he's hanging on to that. It was told Solomon behold Adonijah fears King Solomon verse 51 for behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar. Saying, let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Okay, how would you react? You didn't get invited to the party when your brother, who you don't even hang out with, you barely even know this guy. There's 19 sons, probably let's estimate another maybe 20 from all the concubines. You're probably one of 40 kids, you never hang out. There's a bunch of different moms, you don't even live in the same area. In the same house. And this guy didn't invite you to the party because he had an inkling that you're going to be next on the throne. And he not only took your throne, but he pretty much set up a plan where he was going to kill you and your mom. How are you going to handle that when now you have the upper hand? Because now Solomon's in charge. And he's young. When Solomon gets on the throne, he is mentioned for being very, very young and very inexperienced. He doesn't know what he's doing. So how is he going to react? Is he going to react off personal vendetta? Because he could be completely justified in the eyes of the people of killing Adonijah straight out. Is he going to? Take a look at what he does. Verse 52. And Solomon said, if he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs will fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. He said, I don't know, Adonijah, how you want to play this? You're going to work with me. You're going to not. You're going to try to take the throne anymore. you not. I will keep a close eye on you, but I have no interest in killing you because this is about the nation. This is not about me. So King Solomon sent and they brought him down from the altar and he came and paid homage to King Solomon and Solomon said to him, go home. You're done here. Is that how you would have handled it? Because a life of worship chooses peace and forgiveness first. Whether or not you need to then pull in boundaries, tough love, that's next. But are you choosing forgiveness first? Or is your attitude always reaction, lash back, make them pay? If that's your heart, a life of worship has not soaked in sufficiently. It says, when David's time to die grew near, chapter 2, verse 1. He commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Now, how did he know that? I have no idea. But he says this, be strong and show yourself a man. All right, a couple things. There are many sons represented here, right? So 50% of our congregation is male. You're all sons of some dad. Some of us have had a father say to you at some point in your life, You need to act like a man. Man up. But very few of us have ever had our fathers define what that means. Dads, if you are say less, guys, you have done your children an incredible disservice. Because when you say you need to act responsible, you need to be a man, they don't know what you mean. So they're going to run to the world and they're going to go ask what a man is. And here's what the world's going to tell them. Look out for number one. No one else is going to take care of you. You need to push anybody out of the way that you possibly can because you need to establish it for you, yourself and your own. You know what? You do what you need to do to get by. You work hard so you get a lot of money, provide for your family. But if you need to do stuff on your own, on the side, that's your business. Nobody else should tell you what to do. It is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, be your own man, don't rely on anybody else, and make everybody else lower than you. That's what the world's going to tell them. Is that what you want? As dad, is that what you want? Because if you do not define any differently, that's what they're going to hear when you say, be a man. Here's my challenge you have to talk to your kids. What am I going to say? I don't know. You're going to tell them what it is to live a life of worship. Well, I, oh, that's right. You're not living one either. Of course, that's why I shut you down. Yeah. If you pull your sons aside and you say, son, this is what it is. I want you to live a life for God. And he turns around and says, why dad? You didn't. What are you going to say? Did he shut you down right there? Is that it? Well, let me ask you this. Why aren't you? Maybe he's right. Or maybe your response would be something like this. You know what, son? The majority of your life, you're absolutely right. I haven't lived a life of worship. But in the last six months, I've learned that I wasted an awful lot of my time. And I realized in the last six months that I've been engaging with God, that I should have been doing that all along. Now that my eyes are wide open, I would remiss, be remiss if I didn't tell you how to live rightly. Because I had to stumble through life. My dad never set it up for me. My dad never told me what it is to be a man, but I'm finally starting to figure it out and I cannot let you go on without telling you what that means. Can you say something like that? Can you say you've been walking with the Lord the last three years? Listen, you're not going to say that you've been perfect. No dad here is going to be able to say that you've been perfect. What I'm saying is, are you giving them instruction that you can back up with your life at all? And if you can't, how about starting the conversation like this? You need to walk with God because I've wasted my whole entire life. And I don't want you to do that. Now it's going to have less power, but it's something. What you cannot do, gentlemen, is assume they know what you're doing. That you cannot assume that they know how to live. You cannot assume that they know what it is to be a godly man. You have to talk to them and tell them. I'm not even saying that you need to be Mr. Talkative at home. Oh, I'm now suddenly the talking guy. No, I'm saying that when it matters, open up your mouth and say something. David is going to leave a legacy to his son and mostly it's verbal right now. This is what he says to Solomon. This is how David defines being a man. It says, Keep the charge of the Lord, your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. What did he just say? Son, you got to live by the word of God. Doesn't matter what the world says. You live by this, by this every time you let this define who you are as a man. You model what is in here. Even in the areas that you look at me and you realize that you are not proud of me. It's because I deviated from this. I want you to be a man of God. And the only man of God is a man of the word. I want you to see this. I want you to live this way. And David said, what we do here is that we uphold the covenant that God has with Israel. It's a blessing and curse thing. If we live for God, he will bless our nation. If we do not, he will curse our nation. That was Old Testament covenant. David knew that. So then it transfers over, he said, and also God has had a conversation with me personally about our household. That's the Davidic covenant. Take a look at this. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Solomon, God is on our side because we're on his side. Solomon, you have to live right. You've watched Amnon go down, you've watched Absalom go down, you've watched Adonijah go down. Don't be like that. Your father may not have done everything right, but I've always lived like God matters. I need you to be like that. Now, we can look at that and we go, "Well, that's really that's super sweet and not real practical." Well, hold on. It's super practical. He's about to get into the tough parts. Now, Solomon, you're also going to be king. There's a couple things I need you to do. As the king, you need to make sure that our nation is secure. I need you to get rid of some bad guys and he need you to protect some good guys. Number one, I need you to find a way to get rid of Joab. He went with your son, uh, with your brother, Adonijah. He can no longer remain the head of our army. That's not going to happen. Barzillai, the guy that protects us as a family, make sure that he's taken care of. Abiathar, the priest, he can't remain either. We got to shut him out. So there's some tough calls that you need to make. Are you prepared to do that? Solomon says, absolutely. Verse 10, then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And at that time, and the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron in the south and 33 years in Jerusalem overall. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. David set his son up for success, provided for the temple building, prayed over him publicly, talked to him verbally. He did all the right things. Now, is Solomon going to follow through on that? Well, this is how it goes. So Solomon's on the throne. And he's sitting in the royal room one day. Meanwhile, Adonijah, the brother that's been kicked out, goes up to Bathsheba, Solomon's mom. Hey, Bathsheba, listen, I know that we don't get along. That whole thing where I was going to kill you, I know, that totally messed up our relationship. Um, But here's the thing. I need to ask a request of you. She said, what's that? And he goes, I want to know if I can have David's blankie. Yeah, I never liked that woman in the first place. Sure you can. Well, let me go talk to Solomon about it. So she goes up, and Solomon's sitting on his throne. They pull up another throne for Mom. He looks over, and he says, Mom, what's up? And she said, well, I need you to do something for me. He said, Mom, I never deny you. Sure, what do you need? Adonijah wants Dad's blankie. Seriously, are you messing with me? He wants Abishag. Oh, heck no. What? Really? No, no, no. Do you understand, mom? you you understand what that means, right? He's going to claim that she is dad's concubine. He's going to vie for the throne and you're going to support that not on my watch. That's not going to happen. Banaya, get over here. Yeah. What's up, sir? Go kill him. Oh, didn't go well. Adonijah goes, bye-bye, right? First shutdown right there. That's I had to point out why that whole thing transpires. Adonijah dead. Another son of David slaughtered for being a psycho guy. Don't push your luck. I think is actually what that message is, (laughs) right? (laughs) Solomon kicks Abiathar, the priest out and says, Benaiah, go after Joab. Now you have to understand. Remember how tough Joab is? All right, these are all the mighty men. They're fighting each other. Benaiah is now in charge. So he runs after Joab. Joab bails out, runs and hangs onto the horns of the altar. Right? There's a lot of this, right? And then Benaiah runs up. He's like, dang, he's on base. Okay? So he goes, he says to Joab, he goes, come out here. I got to kill you. And Joab's like, no, I'm not coming out. You have to come in here and kill me. So Benaiah goes back to Solomon. He's like, he won't come out. And and, and Solomon goes, well, what did he say? He said, I have to kill him there. And Solomon said, so, and? (laughs) Oh, I can kill him there. He goes in and kills him right there. Right? Another one out. By the way, when David is dying, he says, Remember that Shimei guy? Remember he's the guy that was cursing, throwing dust in the air, and throwing rocks at me? I hate that guy. Would you just kill that guy? So Solomon puts him on house arrest. He's like, I don't know if I can kill the guy. House arrest, if you go anywhere, I'll kill you. Three years later, some of his servants bail out. Shimei goes after him outside. Solomon says, come here for a second. Did I or did I not tell you, if you leave your house... I'll kill you. Yes, sir, you did Beniah. <laughs> Whack, he's gone. And the new cabinet is established. Solomon did all the tough calls. Solomon chased after God and Solomon started right. The nation of Israel is completely set up for a new king that loves God. And it looks like we're about to head into success. How awesome that David finally left a good legacy in one of his kids, where he trained him up and got him ready and Solomon was ready to do it. And you find out Solomon's heart is so soft. He has a dream one night and God comes to him and says, listen, I know you're super young and inexperienced, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to bless you because of your dad. I'm going to bless you as you sit on the throne. What do you want? You want like riches? wealth? you want power, fame? What do you want? Solomon said, man, I am so in over my head. What I really need is wisdom. I really need you to show me how to lead. And God said, that's what I was hoping you'd say. You know what? Because you didn't ask for that other stuff, not only will I make you the wisest man in the world, and guess what? He was, but I'll give you all that other stuff too. And Solomon was locked in. Anybody know the rest of the story? Yeah, he didn't he didn't end very well. Are you going to set your kids up for success? Your friends up for success? Moms, just because I blasted the dads about talking to their sons, you think this doesn't apply to you? You think this doesn't apply to you talking to your daughters? You think this doesn't apply to you talking to your sons? Dads, you think you don't have to have a conversation with your daughters because that's your wife's responsibility? Oh, I don't think so. You communicate with your kids and you tell them what it is to live for the Lord. Because they need to hear it from you. Are they going to follow it? I don't know. That's between them and God. But don't set them up for failure. Set them up for success. If you invest in them and do what God has asked you to do with your kids, then the decisions they make as they grow older is between them and God. You can't control them. And Solomon makes some poor decisions, but that's on him. At least David got him started right. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that you loved on us enough to share your word with us and teach us and guide us. We ask, Father, that you would allow us to see the glaring errors in our lives and the ways that we're impacting our friends, our siblings, our family, our children, our parents, our neighbors. For Lord, I believe that if we live wholeheartedly for you, that there's no way that's not going to leave a mark on the rest of the world. Be glorified in us, in Jesus' name. Amen.